Welcome to Fandom Power. Hey, welcome back to Fandom Power, the show where we talk about all things pop culture. My name is Wes Arscott, and uh, today we're going to be talking about, um, I think it's an interesting subject, certainly one that's come around. Uh, I guess it's always maybe kind of been there, but now with the advent of the internet and online forums, it may have kind of reached a peak or a zenith in the last couple of years, and that's uh, gatekeeping, which kind of leads into toxic fandom, something that uh, I think we've all kind of experienced in one form or another. And to talk about toxic fandom and gatekeeping with me tonight, I have here in the studio with me my lovely wife, Kimberly. Hey, everyone. My recording partner, producer, and editor, Andy. Hello. And in Toronto tonight by telephone, our good friend of the show, Eric Swenson. Ahoy, hoy. Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming in tonight to want to talk about something that uh, I guess I always thought of it as being something that was kind of innocent until I really started to look at this in the last, well, I wouldn't say the last couple of years, but more so, especially now that I'm really kind of digging down into into all of the pop culture subjects for the show particularly, but I guess I always sort of reliquated a lot of the uh, the stuff that we see online as just being like, I guess this is going to sound really silly because having done the research that I've done over the last couple of days, I've come to this conclusion that it's not just passion, but I was very quick to write it off as passion. And I think that's kind of where, you know, the whole notion comes from. It's, you know, people are passionate about the thing that they like, whether it's a movie or, you know, a TV show or a a comic book. I mean, is this not the classic, you know, when we were kids, you know, in the schoolyard and you, you had your comic book rolled up in your back pocket and you, you unrolled it and maybe it was a, an X-Men comic book, but your buddy beside you, he might have had like a Justice League of America comic. And then you went into that, why, you know, Marvel is better than DC or why DC is better than Marvel. I think these are the That's cla- a couple episodes away. Well, these are the classic conversations that I, we've, <laughs> we've had for years and years and years. And it, it kind of lends into that, the subjectivity of, uh, you know, why my music is better than yours and why, you know, why Star Wars is better than Star Trek, you know, all these conversations that at some point, you know, maybe were kind of innocent and on some level still are. We're talking about a level of passion that goes beyond that where it starts to become hurtful and in some cases even uh, dangerous and at its worst, deadly. So, yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, these are just... I guess there's just some of the examples that I, I talked about, you know, the whole Star Wars versus Star Trek thing. And, you know, uh, we run a secondary show here, a sub show uh, every week where we review the newest episode of The Mandalorian. And uh, since we've been doing that, and I've never done, I mean, I've done casual movie reviews before for my own sort of entertainment purposes and kind of posted it on my own social uh, social media. But I've never done, I've never done it before with the uh, intent to put it out to like a target audience like I'm doing now. And, uh, I, I, this week alone, I was the subject of some of that backlash that was kind of potentially kind of hurt. Fortunately, like I'm, I'm well enough that, you know, the, the hurtful things that were said to me didn't really impact me too much. And I know I'm okay, but 
I, I guess I've just, I'm just getting a little sliver, a little taste of what it's like to be on the receiving end of that. So I guess like I'm, like I said before, sort of the, uh, from where I'm sitting, the, uh, the, the lead into this is it all stems from passion whether that passion is, you know, directed in a healthy direction or whether it's misguided. I think the people who are doing it in some cases, they, they genuinely believe they believe what they're saying. They believe that they're right. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think everybody is opinionated, right? And they don't mean it to be rude (laughs) and they don't mean it to be hurtful, but what you like is what you like. And if you think you know the most about it, you always have that little protective barrier around it, right? So if someone else likes it, it's a little bit of this healthy competition, right? Yeah. I know more than you. And did you know this? Did you know that? I think it's, and unfortunately, sometimes people take it to the extreme and that's where the really negative effects come out, right? Because they've maybe taken it too personally. Maybe. And it's their own thing. And how dare you like the same thing I do? It's mine. And Well, you, you, yeah, yeah. you actually bring up one of the, the things that I, when I was doing my notes and I was kind of looking like for some of these indicators of what kind of maybe indicates sort of gatekeeping. And, and you touched on one perfectly, Kim, where it's like somebody who knows something more will always challenge a fan with that knowledge. So it becomes this like, this like almost like a purity test. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't know as much as I do, you can't be a real fan, you know, and, and on some level, it's okay to share that knowledge. It's okay to share that knowledge in the sense of, you know, did you know that this thing that we're talking about, you know, uh, is connected to this other thing over here because I want to share that with you. And, and that's not, that's where the passion comes from. But the other side of that is, oh, you didn't know that thing. You can't be a real fan or you're not a real fan or you're not as good as I am or, you know, I feel the need to put you down. That's where it's not passionate anymore. And it's not, it's not fun anymore. No, but I think that situation, okay. Say someone who is very well-versed in, in a topic is talking to someone who is just discovering that license. They won't say those things, but it comes across. Do you know what I mean? Like I've experienced that where I've gotten into something you know, and yeah. it's, and it's, you, you're not versed in it. You don't know. You don't know the history. You're just learning the characters. You're just discovering it. it's all new and exciting. But someone else has been into it for years and they won't come out and say, well, you can't be right. a fan. But it's alluded to. It's like, oh, aren't you sweet? You know I what think, I mean? I think pre internet, there was a, I, I know what you're saying and I, I'm just trying to phrase it right so that it's, that it gets across. I think it's that, it's almost like an air of superiority. And I think pre-internet when like people would have these, these conversations like we're having now, but having them face to face, like the whole Marvel is better than DC. And and you would have that conversation and you would defend your position, you know, like fervently. But if somebody wasn't up to snuff, like you'd, you'd squash them. And even, yeah, just this whole, like there is an air of superiority or an air of like, like you say, Oh, that's nice. Right. Like you just kind of, dis- it's a dismissiveness, I think. A little bit. And it's, again, I don't think they're, they're that select few that it's very negative, but I think it just comes with the territory. Have you checked out any YouTube comments section on some of the channels that I follow? 
No. Because you would learn that it's a lot bigger than what you think it is. And I'm sure it is, but I just can't. <laughs> I go through my Facebook and the pages I follow, like I'll read a few comments sure. and it's like, okay, this is just draining. But people are very in, you know, whether it's about fandom or the election yeah. or this or they're in there and they're saying stuff over. Like, it's just, how do you have the energy to do that? Yeah, I think, doesn't that lend itself, though, to that whole idea of the internet has given everybody a voice, and now suddenly, oh. suddenly that, well, I mean, everybody had a voice prior to that, but now everybody's, everybody's it, Now opinion, everybody has a megaphone. Sure they yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Sure, sure. And now everybody thinks that, you know, all opinions are equal because they can share it to the entire world with a, with a keystroke. Well, and unfortunately, we live in a world that, you know, quote unquote, I hate to say it, but fake news and lies, yeah. like there's no... It doesn't matter if what you're saying isn't true. If you say it enough times and you say it loud enough, there's going to be people that agree with you. Yeah. God, yeah, that's yeah. depressing. It is depressing. <laughs> but that's the internet, I feel. No, that's you're, my you're opinion, right? right? Like, right. that's just... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just... It's, it's not something that you like to hear or think about on a regular basis, because... I think people you know, don't like to be confronted yeah. with their isms. You know, and if there and if there's a chance that maybe you fall into one of those isms, you know, even ever so slightly, having to look at yourself in the mirror through that lens can be often. Uh, it's it, very jarring. Sure, it definitely can be that. Vexing. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I I, I want to first preface this by saying, I've been li I, I was listening to you go through some of the notes earlier, and we've been talking a little bit about this topic over the last week yeah, or so. Yeah. And I've made some conclusions on behalf of the devil's advocate side of this oh, that's, that I'm going to be sharing. Would love to share those thoughts because I mean that's part of um, that's part of the conversation, isn't it? The, the the preface that I want to make is that some of these things I, I I might agree with, but some of them I definitely don't, and I'm just sharing them for for posterity's sake. So, yeah, of course. So, so, now, now that the disclaimer is out of the way. All right. So before anybody <laughs> attacks, before anybody attacks Eric as being the the dissenting jerk. <laughs> but isn't that he shouldn't even have to say that's that? That's right. You shouldn't. Do you know what I mean? That's true. But now, now that we live in this internet age, that's everything right. has to come with a disclaimer, and that's sure. part of part of what this whole culture is, has has become, which is a sad thing to say out loud and realize. What's, what's interesting is that we're talking about somebody challenging your opinion. And in this case, that's what exactly what it is. It's a, it's pure opinion. It, it isn't like informed opinion. It's genuinely. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. Like I feel the need to say these things because I don't think many people would. And I think that if you were to be bringing them up in an argument or, a, or sure. for, 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 for the more friendly choice of word, a discussion, yeah. Um, someone would look at you and go, I can't believe you're even saying that right now or something along those lines. Right. So, well, I thought, you know, this was a perfect part of the reason why I thought you'd be a great guest for this one, Eric, was after we did mm -hmm. the Star Wars episode and, and you joked a couple of times about feeling like the young kid in the room. Right. <laughs> and I thought, you know, this is something that you probably That's true. You probably live closer to more on a day to day base than say like Kim or, or myself who are you know, 10 years older than you are, right? 
Yes, as so, the resident millennial, like I can say this is something we deal with regularly. Well, I didn't want to say it that way, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I also have to say, being a female, I'm kind of in that. Yeah, yeah, you're you're Do getting you know both I mean? sides of both sides of the. Doesn't uh, matter what my age is, I've already got a disadvantage because I'm female. Oh, that's true. You know. Yeah. You do a, a lot of gatekeeping mm -hmm. comes from the uh, what's genuinely considered male dominated male dominated yeah. side of things. Sure, yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. Which you know, I again here comes the here comes one of the unpopular things. The fact is, a lot of things are male dominated because men are dominant. It's just it's partly biology. It's partly. You know sure, sure. the way society works. Yeah. Like it sucks, and it's definitely not fair. But men create and control a lot of stuff, and you know we're we're working on it. We're getting better. Well, I mean, we live in a time where we now know that the casting couch is a real thing. It is a real thing, and yeah. it's disgusting. They it should is. clean it more often. There's a lot of kick-ass um, women that are getting into powerful positions, yeah, though. But it's yeah. taken this long for them sure, to, to have their moment, and and I maybe that's not the right word, their moment, because they should be they should continue to have they should continue to have those moments, and it shouldn't just be you know a, a page in history. It should be like entire chapters, and it's it's exactly. not. And we're we're getting there. At least I'd like to think that we're getting there. We're just not there yet. Yeah. So. I want I wanted to start off just by saying I don't think that all gatekeeping is done specifically for exclusive purposes. I no. think that sometimes gatekeeping is less about like no no you can't be a fan because you don't you don't have the base of information that I do or you don't you know you can't rattle off the names of all of the droids in Star Wars like well, then that count me out, man, because I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I listen to the episodes, <laughs> man. Um, but I think that some of it is like it's it's protective. It's it's I love this thing. This thing is I, I I love it so much that I've made it a part of my personality, a part yeah. of who I am. Yeah, and it's what? it's about keeping people at arm's length so that you don't get hurt. There's some you know definite, I mean? yeah, there's some, to listen, man, I am currently wearing uh, a Transformer tattoo. So when we talk about like taking uh, pop culture iconology and making it part of our identity, I totally see how that lends itself to the gatekeeping aspect of whatever that is. There's a, like a long list of things that I could go through that I would say define me as a person. And, and I, and I kind of hold, I covet them as if they are mine and only mine. Exactly. But I do it more privately. And that's than... why you were so hurt by the Michael Bay movies. Ugh. We all we all know how this works. <laughs> you know what? That, that's a great example, though, right? I mean, I, I no secret here. As a Transformer guy, I'm I'm one of those what they refer to as a G oneer. That's my generation. I I love the the G one continuity, even if the TV show does not really hold up all that well. <laughs> I like those no, designs. No, not not very well at all. No, um, no. We love it, but the show itself does not hold up very well. It's uh, the '86 movie is still pretty cool, and it's still fun to watch. But the actual weekly episodes are just kind of like, oh, absolutely. Uh... So, so I think 
in a very limited context, there are some aspects of gatekeeping that are perhaps not healthy, but at least understandable. Absolutely. Like, it's not some abhorrent aberration of like, no, no, not at all. Oh, how how dare you love you know the Orville? It's not it's not Star Trek. Well, I would argue that it's more Star Trek than some of the recent ones, but you wouldn't you be know, alone in that either. To each their own, right? Yeah, I can I can appreciate what you know the Family Guy people are doing with with the Star Trek oeuvre, yes. for lack of a you know better series but i think eric i think we're saying the same thing really i mean yeah what it really it boils down to that fans are passionate people absolutely and it doesn't matter what the thing is you're gonna find somebody who is all in and uh mm-hmm. you know maybe they don't they don't mean any any sort of harm by their enthusiasm and i think those people are like genuine i see them a lot like for example uh in 2014 I went to my first Kiss concert and uh, I had never experienced that before. And the, the types of fans that we saw there, one thing, all those guys that say that, you know, Kiss isn't Kiss anymore because it doesn't have all the original members. Those people aren't coming to the concerts. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're not because everybody we talked to was either like crazy, like over the top, I'm painted from head to toe, or they were there for the music. They didn't care you know, that it wasn't Peter Chris and, and Ace Freely, you know, in the band anymore. They were just yeah. there to experience a Kiss concert. So they wanted to rock and roll all night and have a wonderful day. Right. And so passion. And we really did because that concert was, it was. Like, awesome. It, it is in my top. <laughs> I'm not kidding, man. That's probably my number one uh, of all the concerts I've been to in terms of like concert going experience. That's my number one. Well, from the moment they started to the moment they ended, it was yeah. a you're on like 10 the whole way. Yeah, it was a it was a solid like it was like being on the receiving end of a Rocky Balboa movie. <laughs> like just being and given in what the... given what we're talking about, that's 100% passion, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they're in there, they're going they're going to give you the best possible thing they can do, and that's why people get passionate about it cuz like these guys are making sure we have a good time. And anybody who can do that in this crazy, messed up world is, you know, and speaking at, of at that, least a step ahead. Yeah, Andy. Great reference there, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try. I really do. <laughs> we talked in a previous episode about, uh, you know, the intellectual property in general and how it becomes a living, breathing thing. And once you put it out into the world, it's not yours anymore. It becomes the property of the fans. I Unless think... you're J.K. Rowling. Well, yeah, I guess. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> See? Even I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm hating on someone who, who who loves a thing in a different way than me. I like the no. thing. I, it's no. Not, it's not my thing, but I appreciate it for what it is. I maybe just don't appreciate her public... Uh, her her actions behind it. Yeah, yeah I think like, that's what's tarnished it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's why I can have an appreciation for the Michael Bay movies, and you and I can still be friends. <laughs> Don't get me like, wrong; like you, you have to remember. I let me quantify this. I just want to tell you: I've seen every Transformer <laughs> film in theater. 
You know, I've, I spent my money to go and see them because it was Transformers, and bad or that's, not, I was going to go and the see mark them. Of a, that's the mark of a true fan. You'll go and see something even if you know it's not going to be what you want. Listen, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I am such a Star Wars nerd that if you took a rock and you painted the words Star Wars on it and told me it was new, I would sit there and stare at it. Christmas presents. <laughs> I'm getting a Star Wars rock <laughs> for Christmas. You're yes. done. The list is done. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But talking about movies, if I can just say. Yeah, of course you can. I'm pretty easygoing, whatever. But when the Ghostbuster movie came out with the girls, I have yeah. to say I was like, how dare they? No, no, you can't change it. You as a woman. Say Me. That. Yeah. I was like, no, because it was the original guys. Like, those are the guys. What are you doing? Oh, my God. I think the biggest problem that a lot of people had with that is that it, by changing, by gender swapping them and just changing some of the smaller details, like, you know, they're not in a fire hall, they're in, they're changing the smaller things like that. Yeah. You're missing the point of what Ghostbusters was well, or, and why it was successful. It's because those guys had the best chemistry that has ever been seen on screen and they took a movie that was a weird premise and made something beautiful. As Dan Aykroyd says, they turned his family business into a into a million dollar movie. Yeah, because you know, he was his ghost father. Hunters. His father is actually one of the country's leading uh, uh, paranormal investigators. He's written a, a couple of books mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Footnotes, I Andy. That. Footnotes. Mm -hmm. Well, Dan Aykroyd still hosts a number of shows. Yeah, he on. does. Like That's I think right. there's one now, Haunted Hotels. Yes. Yeah. That he is currently playing host to. So, listeners, if he, you're, uh, if I this know is, he makes good vodka. Yeah, he does, right? Crystal, um, Crystal Head or Crystal? Is it Crystal Head? Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull. Um, I was just gonna say, um, uh, listeners, if you're just new to the show, Kim and Andy are actually uh, currently developing uh, our third show. Which uh, may or may not be, I don't know if it's going to, I think it's going to be a standalone show. I don't know. I think we could go for like a monthly thing. Yeah, but it's going to be under its own branding, I yes. think. Yeah, oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Kim and Andy are working on their own show that's going to be a, a, a paranormal, does, does paranormal cover it all, really? Kind of, but not really. It can be broken down. Supernatural, yeah, yeah, yeah. paranormal. Cryptids. So, one yeah. more. Dimensional. One more uh, feather in our cap to look forward to. Cool. Yeah, so it's, you know, we've... If I could just get back to the Ghostbusters. Of course Busters. you can. I was going to bring you right back. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, no, it's not all, all good. Having that initial, how dare they. Yeah. But then we went to the movies we to did, see yeah. the girls. And we went into it thinking, okay, let's just look at it yeah. as its own movie. And we did. And it was really good. I loved we it. We liked it. I loved it. And I so, loved it for what it was. Yeah. yeah. It, it wasn't terrible. Like, it was much better than I gave it credit for, and I went into it expecting to be, like, I, I was the curmudgeon. I, I, I was like, this is going to be awful. I don't know why. I didn't pay for it. I waited for it to be free. That's right, how right. petty I was. I just went at and it. And it was better than I thought. I went at it from the opinion of, and this is this is something that I've said many times before, uh, before we had a before we had a podcast even, is that, you know, we live in a world of, and, and people like to say, you know, like there's no more original ideas. And I just want to, I want to go back and say remakes and reboots are not a new idea. People, they've no, been doing not. them since the dawn of cinema. You know, we just, we just finally watched a star is born. That movie has been remade three times. Like, come on. 
This is not new territory we're talking about. So, you know, I didn't know it was made three times. <laughs> but there's a there's a reason why they keep going back to this stuff because those those stories at their core or whatever the core idea of the thing is that we're remaking, it resonates on some level. So it's worth looking at again, maybe through a different lens or a fresh well, take wasn't, on it. Wasn't there some scholar who said that there are only really like six six stories? six storylines in Hollywood? I think is the line. I don't know. I've, I'm Kevin not a Bacon. I'm not a film scholar per se. So <laughs> <laughs> it was Kevin Bacon, yeah, and he was at know, both six, he was at degrees. both ends of that, right? Yeah, that's right. It all involves yeah. Kevin Bacon. Yeah. From Kevin Bacon to Kevin Bacon. Oh my God. <laughs> Kevin Bacon is a Mobius strip. What? George <laughs> Boros. Yeah. So passion, you know, in and of itself, is not gatekeeping, and it's. It can be healthy and it can be fun and it can be all those schoolyard conversations that we talked about, you know. And going back to what Kim said about the competition aspect and even what Eric said about the male-driven thing. Yeah. Rooted in that schoolyard establishing dominance for, for lack of a better term, the nerds back then. Yeah. All outcasts in their own right. Yes. Found it to group together, but then established almost a leadership role. Or a hierarchy. It was a hierarchy within yeah. within their you know, communities. And because, like you said, now you have, you're never alone now. Back yeah. then you were. Yeah. And, you know, to become king of the nerds was great. Yeah, for sure. For sure it mm-hmm. was. There was, um, there was, uh, I, f- I forget what I was listening to, but I was listening to a podcast and, and there was mention of like, as soon as something has any sort of value to a group of people, yep. a hierarchy is going to arise. Yep. Like it doesn't matter if it's like if it's money, if it's if it's a if it's information, it doesn't matter what it is. As soon as somebody wants more of it, yeah. There's going to be a hierarchy involved and a lot of people get, you know, really hissy about things like oh the patriarchy and oh I don't want to go super wide on this, but like pe- people get really mad that these systems exist. It's like, well, these systems exist because we're social creatures. Yeah, it's not something we can get away from. And I mean, complaining about it might make you feel better for a little while, but sure, like you got to realize there's a system here that works, and it's why we have buildings and electricity and air conditioning, like. People get very bogged down in the minutia of, like, you know, why something matters. It's not necessarily why something matters. It's that it matters. Right. As soon as somebody likes something enough to go out of their way for it, yeah. then, then there's power involved. You know what I mean? I think so. Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm getting a little wide. Like, I got to tell you, ever since I got out of high school, I've been reading a lot of philosophy books. Yes. So, uh, I've, I've sort of become a bit of a philosophy nerd, which again is, that's your passion. Just, it's my passion. It's what I do when I'm not, you know, talking about transformers or Marvel or whatever else we want to stereotype me as <laughs> well, here, a let's, fan of. Let's, let's dig into one of those, Eric. And this is one that you've been itching to talk about. I know we've had this offline before and, and, uh, this will tie into sort of what, what Kim was saying earlier about as a woman and being alienated from stuff. Let's talk about Dungeons and Dragons for a second. Oh, buddy. So first, uh, I just... (laughs) (laughs) 
So one. This will be fun. When it comes to gatekeeping, <laughs> I'm I'm just going to put this one out here. Uh, in the role playing community, especially in the Dungeons and Dragons community, keep in mind, Dungeons and Dragons is on its uh, officially on its fifth iteration. Uh, we're mm-hmm. talking about a game that came out in what nineteen the year I was born, what nineteen seventy four. Yep. Yeah. So Something like that. The what's in Dungeons and Dragons circles, what's referred to as the edition wars. You know, which edition is the best edition and Yeah. You know Well here, let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. Can you define Thacko for me? Two hit armor class of zero. Okay. See, now you've raised up a tier in my D and D reckonings. Yeah. T H A C O. Two hit armor class the, of zero. There are people who can't answer that question and I would that, be one that, of those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's fine. I just lost some points. Did you lose some street cred? I think so. That's okay. Oh, that's okay. You're 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 a woman who play who who has any knowledge of D and D. You're you're automatically up there. That's See? how this works. You just got a compliment. Okay. Because the look I just got from Kim, I was like, wait a she minute. She was like, she thought you were going down the. <laughs> she thought she was about to be insulted. Oh no 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 no. <laughs> See when 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 you're a pimply, slightly pudgy, nerdy dude sitting in a, a, a cramped very humid basement with five other dudes drinking Mountain Dew and Cheetos. You, you really, anything that has an extra X chromosome just automatically elevates the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even if it's just your mom bringing down the Hot Pockets. Man? Yes, hon? More Hot Pockets! Right away, hon. I'm spewing a lot of bullshit here, people. Please do not take any of that at face <laughs> I think it's I think it's fair to say that we know that uh, there is a certain level of jest that goes with this. But, but yeah, I, no, like you guys would have had so many awesome <sighs> campaigns if you just let the girls play. We're we're yeah. getting to that. We're not there yet. We're getting to okay. that. Okay. I started playing in early 3.5. Okay, we're going there already. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yes. But I now exclusively, and I haven't done much of it, but I exclusively play in 5e. The most the current edition. I, the, the most current edition. A big part of that is because I started watching Critical Role, which is a great show, and I recommend anybody who wants to get a taste of what D&D could be. Another. Take a look at, take a look at Critical Role. Another but, reason to listen to Matt Mercer. Oh, I could listen to him just read a menu. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the biggest reason for me that I move, I'm so supportive of 5e is because it's taken the core of what D&D is and extracted it out of the web of rules upon rules upon rules upon rules. You mean it's taken like, the math out of it? Oh, that's, that's literally what it is. There's no more math. So that makes me happy. We had a conversation... Uh, about this with Henry, our friend Henry, who's been on the show before, and he plays fifth edition with his son, and 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 he likes to put it this way: he's like Henry's an old role playing gamer, much like we are, having played for you know many years of our life, and he's like, I'm standing in the store, and I have, I have the the new Dungeons and Dragons book in one hand, and I have its competitor, Pathfinder, in my other hand. And I, and I turned to the guy behind the counter. And I'm like, I'm going to play this with my 10 year old son. And they said, you want Dungeons and Dragons because the learning curve is so much more shallow because they've stripped out throughout the editions, the multiple editions. It seemed like for a while that each iteration would sort of pack more nuts and bolts on top of what had come before it. And then it becomes this big cumbersome where 
It's more... there was in three point five. There was a book for desert campaigns. There oh, yeah. was a book for tundra campaigns. There was a book just for arcane spellcasters. That's right. There was a book just for you know tricksters, and there was a book all about the good gods and the bad gods. It was very much like you could see at the heart of it. There's the three. There's the the core three books. That's right. And then it just spider webs out into all of these little specialty things. What? So you would eventually be making characters with you know a feat from book X. And a that's, skill yeah, for exactly. book Y. So that's, and you'd that have, speaks you'd have to, to bring up twelve pounds of books to a session. That speaks to the to the notion of, you know, the big mega corporation that just wants your money, right? I mean yeah. I've I've said this before that the people who own Dungeons and Dragons, which is Hasbro by the way, through their Wizards of the Coast imprint, um yep. I, I've always kind of jokingly referred to them as the Microsoft of the gaming industry, in that they would <laughs> Certainly across third edition, they would put something out every month, whether it was good or not. And game balance didn't really seem to factor into the, those those publications. But lo and behold, we get to fifth edition and fifth edition is this stripped down version of the game that at its core still looks like Dungeons and Dragons. It still uses the same six core attributes that have been around since 1974. Those haven't changed really. And it's fresh, and it's currently the best-selling version of the game in history. The, so. the way I've described the difference to people, the easiest way I've found to describe it is that older editions of D&D yeah. are science. 5e yeah. is art. Yeah, well, see, I disagree with you on that, and only because I think there's some blurred lines there, whereas, like, mm -hmm. and this is not... We're, this isn't we're really not going to agree about, 100% on of everything not. here, dude. I've been playing since second edition, but I spent money on third and third edition is, is my edition only because it is the one I spent all the money on and it's That's the one you bought in and it's the one that I know the best. But when we talk about all that, the nuts and bolts and the crunchiness of it, the game almost became like a simulation and a, like a tactical simulation and, and less of a, less of a dramatic play role playing. Game? Right. But I like that. <laughs> I like that aspect of it. That's so. uh, again, man. You, you were you were uh, raised on Coke, and now we've got new Coke. And I was around for new Coke. Not, and then it's not for you. I was also around when Coke said we made a mistake with new Coke and ditched it. <laughs> so that's kind of uh, my little take on the on the edition wars, right? You'll have these people who will defend their edition to the end of time, and sometimes it's with like extreme prejudice. Like, if you don't know what you're, like, you just said it. Tell me what Thacko means. If you didn't know, people would be out there, you didn't know what Thacko meant. Like, what are you doing in here? Get out of here. <laughs> you, call, you call yourself a fan? Right. I so, find it amazing that you guys reference it as saying, instead of saying, hey, I started playing when I was like 15 or 16 or yeah. whatever, you're like, I started playing on second edition, third edition. I'm like, how old well, are you? Because that means nothing to, fair, to me. That's, third edition that's came fair. out when I was seven or eight third edition would have came out right around two, 90 something 2000 2000 yeah around two, 99 2000 i have no, no way yeah yeah it did because uh oh, i didn't start playing it until i was posted to petawawa so that would have been in 2000 you were playing before then but i wasn't playing third edition oh. i was playing second oh so God. now i just the edition war thing i think we've kind of We've kind of handled yeah, we, that we, enough. Yeah, we've covered it. But here's here's the thing we were talking about before. Like, 
I said earlier on in the show that I may have been guilty of some of the, the gatekeeping aspects of this. And this is a classic example where we talk about the male domination of, uh, of certain fandoms or certain, certain properties. And I mean, my first role-playing groups, my high school role-playing groups were male only to the point where it was like no women allowed. No, like they would distract rule. us from the purity no of the game. Women allowed because I think I can say this now as a forty-something looking back and kind of through the lens of the wisdom I have with me now. But it's like it was just assumed that it was a just a guy thing. Like we never really expected girls to be into this stuff. Girls are nerds too. Well, see, and now I know that. But at a, as a fifteen-year-old kid. I couldn't really comprehend that because the marketing, the the millions of hours of television that I had watched up until then said that you wanted to play with My Little Ponies and dolls. It didn't. I think also, in my opinion, is that the age, yeah. teenagers. Yeah. If, you know, and nerds back then when we were teenagers was yeah. almost a bad thing. It wasn't a cool thing. Get those nerds! 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 Yeah, it was a curse or a slur. Well, well, yeah, it why wasn't... you were in the basement. Right. So yeah. if you Nerd. you don't want to let the girls know you play this because it's not cool. There was part of that. Like I've I've often said, like, this goes back to like our in our first episode on the what is fandom episode, I'd asked a question about was there ever a time in your life where you felt that you had to conceal your passion from somebody else? Yep, Sorry, we kinda did. You know But really I, girls didn't all, care. All... It's just the perception, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we... First, there's a, I want to say there's a thriving My Little Pony roleplay community right now. Which oh, I never but, played with. <laughs> uh, but I think everyone sort of turns into, uh, th- this is sort of why Gollum as a character resonates, because everybody has a little bit of that, you know, this is my precious. <sighs> precious. Yeah. How, uh, I, and I must keep it safe in a way. Again. Everyone's got a little bit of that in them. That, that passion where it becomes covetous and it's like it's my thing and you can't possibly like my thing because if you like my thing it's not mine anymore yeah you you can take pride in whatever you want but pride is a sin and we hide our sins i suppose yeah I'm, yeah yeah we do <laughs> some people do yeah you know some people wear them on their sleeve and walk around the white house with them so but... i mean you know kim <laughs> kim as a kim as not only as my wife but as a as a pop culture nerd, as big a pop culture nerd as I am, had attempted to penetrate the inner circle when we were teenagers and was basically stonewalled. Oh my God, we were. Well, see, because she was a woman using the phrase penetrate, and that's not Oh, I didn't we use that word. With at 15. <laughs> Sorry, I feel I'm like I set that immature. up the wrong way. I think you did. <laughs> well, there's a fantastic scene in the latest season of Stranger Things where their core group of D&D players yeah. kind of take offense to Eleven coming in because basically oh, she yeah, is yeah. taking him away from the group. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I haven't thought about that in a while, but yeah, there's, it, there's an ex. That's an excellent it does, look at what yeah. exactly what we're talking about. Well, I have to say as a woman, like I'm part of your group. That's right. As at, Like we play now. We do. Maybe not in the last few months because well, of COVID, but... <laughs> I can say, and I think I've said it before in the another episode, like we'd be playing and I'm playing with three men who have played D&D for years and they're kind of surprised sometimes of me handling a certain situation a certain way because they wouldn't have done that or this is a certain monster and you should kill it a certain way and I'm oblivious 
And I'm like, well, I'll just, you know. I, I think that the most important thing you need to take out of that particular experience is, first of all, that's metagaming, and metagaming should be discouraged at all costs. But secondly, that's the whole reason you you should, as, as a role player, want to bring in people from different genders, uh, social backgrounds, ethnicities, religions, whatever you want, whatever subdivision you want to use, because those people are going to have a different way of looking at things and a different way of solving problems just based on their core personal values. And, and when you see someone else, like, that's not how I would kill a beholder, but you did it successfully, so, hey, I learned something new. Yeah, the guys right? were totally welcoming. It's not like they were like a negative, but I think it was more of a surprising, hey, why did you do this? Or we never thought of doing that. Yeah. Do you know what I, Like it was never a negative or coming down, but. Well, it, again, I think you got to realize that we're a little bit more emotionally mature than the average 15 year old. It actually took and... us a little bit, a bit of time because we, we talked this out quite a few times and. I didn't realize that we were doing it when Kim, like you say, Eric, the whole idea of metagaming, which we weren't, we didn't mean to do it. We, we thought no, we were, I never it was just took it table as a bad. talk, but we did in the end come to the conclusion that that was intimidating for you. It was a little only because it made you feel like you were doing something wrong. Yes. And because I didn't know all the rules or I didn't right. know all the spells or, you know, like I should use this in this situation or that. And, so, you know, you guys knew all the history and the learning curve you yeah. had down pat, and I was just kind of learning. So it can be intimidating, yeah, but you guys were it welcoming. Is. It wasn't yeah. like I I like playing. It was just, it can be daunting a little bit, well, right? Well, if, if, I, if I was to describe to you guys, like, you, you come around a corner and you, you, you spot this large insectoid beast with flakes of rust coming off of it. Wes, you know exactly what that is. I know where you're going with that. I wasn't going to say uh, anything, but sure. I would I would suggest that perhaps, Kim, I don't know if you do. No. So all that is is that Wes has been playing for 15, 20 years, yeah. and you just started. Sometimes I have a hard time separating what I know from what my character knows, and that's where yeah. that, you end up having that table talk with another player who's as well-versed as you are. Not thinking of Kim, who's like just learning this stuff for the first time, and she's like, "What? What? What am I doing?" It was like that deck of cards that Scott's character right. had. Yes. Oh my god, you didn't! Oh, oh my, we see, didn't. Eric even knows all I we didn't. Was deck but, of cards. But our friend Scott, who had <sighs> never really, he was aware of it, but he'd never played with a deck of many things before. And and when it came to the draw, he's like eight. We're like, what? He's like eight. You're oh, taking. No. You're taking eight. I know exactly what that is. Sure. That's and awful. Yeah, it's horrible. It was horrible. See, I think he died. He pulled the death card. <laughs> yeah. But you but guys, if, if, the reaction was like, oh my God. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what? It's a deck of cards. What's the problem? Yeah. If if we gave you another 10 or 12 years of experience, you would understand that the deck of many things is a legendary magic item. Well, I know it that now. It, yeah. And, and it has a bunch of really cool good effects but an equal number of really cool bad effects. Yeah, that's right. And it's notorious for absolutely killing games because people will just pull from the deck until the death guard comes out, yep. and then they're fighting the Grim Reaper. <laughs> and 
you didn't have that depth of knowledge, but as soon as you said the word deck of cards, I immediately knew what you were about to what you, you were talking about. I can I can picture you in your apartment cringing at the word card. Oh. <laughs> oh just <laughs> But again, all of that is is that we have more experience in this thing than you and you know, as an emotionally mature or what I like to claim as an emotionally mature adult, I can I can say that as a younger man, I would have absolutely discounted you for that. And to, to, to my shame, like, that's that's who I was back in the day. And again, it sort of goes back to what I was talking about before about self-protection. Yeah. Like, some of these things back, at least back in the day, sometimes even now, but some of these things, you're ashamed that you like them. Like... Oh, I, I can't possibly like, um, you know, anime. Anime is for little kids and girls. Well, no, it's not. But there's a prevailing perception that you have experienced in some way from the rest of society that says, no, you you can't like that thing openly. Are you mad? Yeah, I think that's the that speaks to the that speaks sort of to the un. The uninitiated, I guess, the people who are not, the people who are not into pop culture, you know, or, or not into anything that you're into have a tendency to judge it as if it's something that's beneath them. You know, I mean, we've said it before, you know, you can make fun of me for playing Dungeons and Dragons, but you putting on your sports jersey and screaming at your TV and throwing stuff is, is somehow (laughs) more acceptable. Or paying however much it costs to go and watch cars turn left. Like, okay, yeah, you know what I mean? Everyone has something that somebody else is going to consider ridiculous. I think to tie it all together, uh, and to go back to something you had said earlier, Eric, about adding, uh, how the the presence of you know that other chromosome just adds depth and and more to your game. I think that's true of of all aspects of, of pop culture and of fandom, particularly, is that you know, much like I had said, you know, having that knowledge and spewing it out like it's just common knowledge, not realizing that it's intimidating Kim. I think if, yeah. we, if we all sort of had took that step back with whatever it is, with our passion, with our, our gatekeeping when it comes to welcoming new people into our fandom, that we'd all have you know a better experience with it and, and those new fans would feel more welcome. Yeah, if you're only cooking with salt, then pepper is going to taste absolutely foreign yeah. to you. I want to I want to ask a question here, and it kind of ties into what you had said earlier. The same thing about having having uh, women at the gaming table. Um, what's everybody think about diversity casting in uh, film and TV right now? I'm here to represent the unpopular opinion. Okay, that's and fair. I'm going to do that first. Sure. Diversity casting for the sake of diversity casting to appease the diversity people should be frowned upon implicitly so what you're saying is there should be no quota i don't think that there should be any base basis for you to go well we have to put a black character in so that we capture the black audience or we have to do this so that you know the lgbt people don't get offended or we have to i don't think that constraining an art form yeah so as to not offend a group of people is ridiculous and abhorrent. Interesting. That comes from 
back in the day when I when I used to want to be a stand-up comic. Yeah. I I came to the conclusion, and and you can see it in people like Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr, who are wildly successful right now for simply saying how they feel and speaking truth. I don't think there is a line. Or if there is a line, I don't see why you can't step over it from time to time to make a point. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. Not everybody is going to like what you're saying. But in the again, in the words of Dave Chappelle, you clicked on my face. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that comes with the understanding that you're going to hear, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, and you've you've chose to be here. Exactly. Yeah. Or, go again, going back to the J.K. Rowling stuff, she's retroactively, quote-unquote, ruining this series that I grew up with. But, again, these are her opinions – it that still she's exists. Tacking on after the fact, Those you don't things... have to read her opinions. You no, can just no. go read the books. That's right. Those things still exist in the form that they were originally created, and they are there for everyone to consume and enjoy, the way that they always have. But, but unfortunately for her and those books, yeah, yeah, yes, the books are a story about a boy, but she's tied to it, right? Like it's she's part of it, regardless of being in the story. Her name's always always associated with That's it. Right. It's her, yeah, like absolutely. she's she's part of that entity. It's not just some, you know, ghostwriter who's written this book, and that no, would be it's... different. But she's part of it. So for her to have these opinions, of course, it affects the story because she's so ingrained with it. If she had kept herself more out or changed her name like some authors do well that would be maybe a different situation i i understand what you're getting at there but i i feel like you can absolutely separate somebody's works from the person themselves like there are there are anecdotes that J.R.R. tolkien was an awful person i don't know where they came from i don't know who i heard them from but but I've if he was if this... he was making those comments or those things now in this day and age, it would be different. Right. I agree with that. Nobody has anonymity but, anymore. No. But but you have to you have to consider. I th- I think that's something that we as a society have to start considering now. Is that back in the day when these things were made, that that was not considered, you know, evocative or you know, uh, forbidden. It was just. I think it was. I think it was, and I think it was taboo even then. It was just, it wasn't talked about, and now people think they can say whatever they want, good or bad, right? Without consequences. I think that the other side of that coin is that there are people who think that you can't say anything that you want, and this is what I was kind of getting at with the comedy stuff is like, there are tons of people who have invested in this cancel culture. Like yeah. you said one, one thing, one time when you were much younger and now we're going to throw it in your face and get you fired from your job. It's like, well, if we can't admit that as younger people, we were less educated and may have had different opinions then as a society, we're inherently broken. I think the, Oh, go ahead, Andy. You, well, that's the situation. James Gunn was, I in was there. just about to name drop him. Yeah. James Gunn, who has been the victim of this, I shouldn't say the victim, who's been subjected to the, the cancel culture, who has gone out publicly many, 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 many times and has said, you know, when I was a young avant-garde uh, 
director, you know, I, that's what I did. I said some things and I did some things for the shock value, but I have grown as a human being and I'm not that person anymore. The big difference where he's concerned is he didn't hurt anybody in the process. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he didn't, no, I, I, I realized he didn't, you know, but, he didn't Epstein anybody. He didn't, uh, Kevin Spacey, oh. anybody. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a, there are, there are lines that you cross that are, that there's no coming back from. Of course. No, but the things that he uh, said was pretty vulgar and pretty like shocking. Right. Yeah, of course it was. Yeah. yeah. So no, absolutely. But I think now everyone is so quick to be offended. Like offended that's and the other, that's the other thing. That's that it. I absolutely. And there's agree. no room for communication yeah. or talking or having different opinions. It's nope, you've offended me, that's it. You're done. Well, that's just it. I, that goes back to everybody now has an opinion, and now everybody thinks that their opinion is just as valid as, you know, yeah. anybody else's, which Some may or may expert. not be true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, unfortunately, again, we're coming back to the internet, at least my opinion is, because they can find like-minded individuals right. very easy. Pack mentality which speaks fuels a lot. their own view, good, bad, sideways, and that yeah. gives them the courage to behave in a certain way. It's uh, they're, they're, they form their own little algorithm society where, you know, if you search something more often enough, you're going to find a group of people who agree with that thing. Exclusively. Exactly. This, this and, is a, uh, it ties very tightly uh, into that whole subsection of, of fandom where it's not, you know, we've gone well beyond gatekeeping and, and it's now toxic. Where yeah, this it's is that this whole, is the point where you start to get to ridiculous. Yeah, it gets into toxicity, and it's no longer just you know difference of opinion. It's my opinion is the only opinion to the point where I feel the need to insult or put down or attack you because you don't share that. Well, and then it's your one opinion extra, doesn't matter. Yeah, it's one extra step as well that if they've decided that you are beneath them, yeah, then it's. How you look, how you behave, what else you like. It's, it's tacked on to that toxicity, right? This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca, organizers of the annual Toronto Collectors Platoon Toy Show. Check out CollectorsPlatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit CollectorsPlatoon.ca today. It's no surprise that, you know, these celebrities are, are deleting their social media accounts. I just want to kind of get a feel from you guys. Like when you reach a certain uh, level of celebrity, do you feel that you have an obligation to use your celebrity power? You know, like I don't think you're ever obligated to use it. I think it's a smart thing to do and a good way to further, you know, yourself, your message and your image. Does it come though with the expectation though that, Joe public expects you like, you know, the, the politicians to be above, to be beyond reproach. Do you think there's an expectation that comes with that? That expectation comes. I don't think you're beholden to it. And I I think that there are people who are fighting back against that currently. I Um, think when you have that level of celebrity, it comes with that response. The Spider-Man line, right? With great power comes great responsibility. So when you have an audience and this is, we're going to get into this a little bit later here in the conversation with some of these specific celebrities, but when you have the the ability to to mobilize tens of thousands of people with a single word, 
you have an obligation to use that power responsibly. And not everybody is doing that. I think everything we're talking about tonight all comes down to the individual's base personality. Right? Like, are they a good person or bad? Right? Like, they're going to lean one way or another. And if it's a celebrity who is racist or is, you know, this negative type of person, you know, that's going to come across. And if there's, there's tons of celebrities out there that do charity work, that do fundraising, that are speaking up for all these lesser known things and, and situations. Well, I I just can say I'm going to unpopular opinion here. I still have fond memories of Bill Cosby. Oh, me too. In fact, I was, I was thinking of him recently. The man is a monster, but yeah. It doesn't mean Ultimately, that I didn't appreciate his comedy. His stand-up he, comedy is some of the best comedy that you know I I had heard as a child. It's it's all clean until you get into some of his like let like he separates it, uh, yeah. the clean stuff from the not clean stuff. He he did amazing things for uh, for for black culture back in the day. Yeah, like he he hired he hired a, uh, a psychologist I think to make sure that there was never like. A, a bad depiction of black America. In oh, you mean shows. on the Cosby show? Yeah. On the yeah. Cosby okay. Show. Like he did some great good. And then behind closed doors, he did some terrible, awful. And you know, well, I, I'm, I'm not saying that one cancels out the other, but I'm saying like we're human and we all have impulses. And when you suddenly, have the power of tens of thousands behind you yeah. power corrupts it certainly can i mean there's no there's no question in my mind how some of these celebrities... i am not excusing no the no. actions of bill cosby or I'd... endorsing them in any <laughs> no but does his actions you're saying you you know you guys liked his comedy does it turn is it tarnished now knowing what he's done of course it is i, I... haven't I haven't gone out of my way to look at anything that Bill Cosby has done since he was sentenced. And we're right back to J.K. Rowling and yep. Harry Potter. It's the same yep. situation. They're ingrained in that type of Well, thing. I mean, full I, circle moment. I, we're talking is, about that is, stuff, you know, the, about hiding yeah. about hiding your opinion because you're afraid of being judged for it. This is it. Classic example, you know. We, we all have these opinions about these celebrities who have, who have done arguably really great work in their profession but are absolutely horrible fucking human beings there was a joke that bill burr did about kevin spacey when he's he's talking he's talking about cancel culture yeah and he's like you know if that person could have just held out for a couple more months we would be able to know how house of cards ends like (laughs) good joke yeah I, I take no credit for terrible delivery of someone else's joke, but it's still a good joke. The point stands. That show was incredible, and then it came out that he was this awful person, and now that show is tarnished by that brush. Yeah. Well, look what's happening to Johnny Depp. Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp is oh is a huge actor, been famous for years. Well, you know, huge films and and characters. And now his ex-wife is, you know, accusing him of yeah. being an abuser. And, and unfortunately, just the accusation alone has destroyed his career. Well, unfortunately, when he sued the newspaper that accused that was, him of being, yeah. uh, and he's lost, and lost that case, 
that's how he lost uh, Fantastic Beast character and yeah, possibly and he- the next Caribbean. He might get that back. I'm not sure, but there was no they were, actual... They were trying to move him away from that for a while, actually. Because uh, I think they sensed, sensed that he would, that they were losing the audience because of the repetitive nature of those movies. But honestly... That could just be general franchise burnout, though. Yeah, that's true. There is a flip side to this, though, where I have seen the movement to strike her down now. Yeah. Like, yes. through... You know, Facebook well, chats trying to get her out of Aquaman. out of everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, is that not a classic case of toxic fandom? Right. You attack me, therefore I'm going to take my fan base and attack you, or the fan base independently. I think it's yeah. the fan base independently yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I I think People, here's a man who has a reputation. What's that, Eric? Yeah. Sorry, I I didn't mean to step on you there, Kim. I think you were That's about okay. to say the same thing. That's okay. Go ahead. See, this is... I I feel like I'm doing it right now. Doing what? Doing the whole gatekeeping thing. Because I keep stepping on Kim, and you're trying to make a point, and I'm talking, and I'm not even thinking about the fact that I'm talking over you. And I think on some deep level, it's some societal thing where I'm like, well, I have an opinion, and this woman is talking, but I need to get my opinion out. Back of the room, and, uh, woman. Everybody wants I, to be heard. I feel corner. awful. But <laughs> well, you've acknowledged it, and that's something. Doing. That's growth. That's I, right. I want to apologize for it. It's all good. Thank all right. you. <laughs> You're listening to Fandom Power. Let's keep the show but, moving. I want to. I just want to circle back yeah. to the original question: was what did we think about diversity casting in Hollywood? And, and Eric, I think we're very clear that um, diversity casting for for its the sake own of diversity casting, yeah, is not great. Diversity casting because you have a diverse set of roles, yeah, just makes sense. Yeah. Any other like, opinions ca- on that? Cast a person for a role. Don't cast a person for their skin tone. Yeah. Yeah, like. Uh, I would even bring it like with the Marvel universe. Sure. When you have so much source material and you're trying to sell a movie to that fan base, you should try within reason to stay as close to that source material as possible. Like you look at the fantastic four reboot and people frown <laughs> so bad on it. They did. But Michael B. Jordan is great. He is. He was yeah. amazing. Oh, in Black Panther. Yeah. Yeah. Andy, I think what you're saying lends itself to what I was thinking is that this, I think that is where diversity casting suffers the most is when it comes to adaptations of other properties. Yeah. I saw a great interview clip with Stan Lee and somebody asked him point blank about changing up the character and specifically Spider-Man in relation to making him, you know, a new race. And Stan Lee gave his point blank answer. No, leave him as is and make a new character. It's way easier that way. And for all intents and purposes, you leave the original character as had been loved by the fandom, which in the end, it worked because Miles Morales is fantastic. And I don't think it would have worked if they had just done it as a reboot. But it was no, you know, going back to these corporate entities that want your money, you know, and the people who make these decisions in Hollywood where like for the longest time, like. Let's go back and talk about some of these early comic book movies, and I'll I'll mention uh, actually one that may be getting a sequel here, <laughs> so many years later. 
the Constantine movie. Yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> Casting Keanu Reeves, who is a dark haired guy in the role and not an, an American, not a blonde haired British guy, was met with a lot of criticism. But Hollywood at that time was not, you know, hasn't really been willing to take those risks with the uh, with comic book properties the same way that they are now. So they stuck to the tried and true formula of we're going to cast what works. We're going to we're going to build on star power and other casting choices. I I'm want gonna... to mention while we're talking about the, the early Marvel stuff, my favorite depiction of the Punisher is Thomas Jane. Oh, in film? In film. Yeah, I like him as well. I think that Bernthal did a great job on the TV show, but yes. I still I still love that original movie. And then the short that, um, oh, what's his name, Ari Shankar? The, there was a short that someone did called Dirty Laundry, look it up on YouTube, Okay, that is like a five or ten minute short that has Thomas Jane as the Punisher oh, okay. in this little short. And it's just a little, like a little tag, and then at the end of it, it shows the Punisher skull, and you're like, oh, it was, it was the Punisher. and It was really cool. That was my favorite thing. And then they were like, no, we're going to go in this other direction for the sequel, uh, Warzone. And right. I think... That's one of the ways, like, again, I'm talking about swapping a white guy for a white guy, but sure. at this point, they changed actors because they wanted to go in a different direction, and the actors didn't agree with it, so they're like, all right, we're going to we're gonna switch, but the guy, the guy knew what he was talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, I sort of lost the point here, but I think that if you're going to change something... There's nothing problem. There's there, there there's no problem. There's nothing wrong with iteration or innovation. Yeah. It's when you take that complete left turn, that's when people start objecting. I think especially some... when you're adapting something from an already established. And that's why I said what I said. I think with these adaptations, when it's whether it's a novelization or a comic book or another another. Uh, medium that's being translated to something that's more visual. That's where the, I think the biggest issues are because you take these going back to the whole idea of like diversity casting. I'm going to take the other side of that because I, for one, I'm all for it. I think diversity casting is great, especially if it doesn't, I mean, if it does nothing to detract from the story, who cares? That's, that's at its most simplest. Who cares? You know, and the, the one that came up recently Andy, we talked about this the other day when they put out the concept art for the new costume for Starfire in the upcoming season of yes. Titans, which looks great, by the way. Yeah. But it just brought out this whole, you know, thing about why is Starfire an African-American actress? And I'm like, who cares? She's an alien. Right. So, and that, this was one of the online comments that I had plucked out, which I thought was priceless. It, the, the person had said, what, did you want them to go and cast an orange skinned alien girl? Like how they else were they? The White House. How else were they supposed Sorry, to? It's too easy. How else were they supposed to do that? Like, how do you satisfy? Well, look at the backlash Flash got with uh, uh, Iris. Oh yeah, being a, an oh, African American. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I don't. But care. someone who doesn't know the history of Flash, which I didn't really, totally doesn't cool. Care. Looks great. Yeah, absolutely. she's good. And I know more about the Flash than you do. And guess what? I don't care. Mm -hmm. I enjoy the show. I think it's well written. It's fun. It's entertaining. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Mine too. But I might be dating myself here, but uh, 
Thomas Jane is not the first Punisher. No, he's not. Not on not no, the not. big screen. Speaking I, of I, the no, uh, blonde-haired white guy star power in the 80s. Yeah. Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> it wasn't the greatest film ever made. No, but it was not. It was, yeah, uh, but I really, really try hard not to talk about the live-action Marvel stuff before the turn of the century. Oh, some of it was good. <laughs> Cheese factor alone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Flash um, I'm going to flip that over for a second. I'm going to, and just to sort of round out diversity casting, let's talk about for a second here, not an adaptation of a comic book property, but it could very well have been the Netflix production Sense8. That oh has to be. God. So you can't tell me, Eric. So that, is that a good oh my God or a bad oh my God? That was easily the best show I've, I've seen out of Netflix. Tell me that that is not, like, tell me that that entire show is not diversity casting. But that's the I whole point of the story. I understand your exactly. point, but the point of the story was the diversity. It was, was it? not absolutely. It, it was. It was, was about seeing things was from point. as many people's. I think at the core of the show, the the idea was that pods of eight people connected. That was the core All of the show. All over the world. That's right. All the different people. That's that right. was the point of it. But in order to have that equal representation, you had to have that diversity. But it wasn't about the show. Wasn't written, you know, with the we got to have, like, it was written for that way because Lana clearly wrote it for, uh, we're going to have a trans person in there. We're going to have, you know, uh, strong representation by women. But I don't think it was, uh, the, sh- the show, the story supports that. The story was built to support that concept. Yeah. So I think that that is why I am less, I'm going to use the term offended, but offended is not what I mean. Uh, by that kind of diversity like if it serves the story then it serves the story again uh, you're getting your science in my art here uh (laughs) when people are trying to you know socially manipulate their audience by going oh look we have a trans person isn't that isn't that trendy like aren't we clever we realize that that's a big hot button political issue and we can reel in a section of the market that hasn't really been tapped before. Look how clever I am. I think the big part like, that, that we're missing in this, and this is it's no fault of anyone on the panel, you, me, or Andy, or Kim, is that... Is it that we're a bunch of white folks talking about diversity? We're a bunch of cisgendered white people who can never, ever understand what it's like to not be represented you know, in pop culture, because we've been for decades, centuries. Right. So stories like Sense8 and stories that are stories about that are great. And if if these characters are filtering in, you know, in stories that never had it before, all the better. I would argue that if if you didn't have any information on the sort of diversity issues that Sense8 would be a great show for you to watch. Like, go watch it. It's Not only is it a good show, but it'll give you a little bit of grounding in some of those issues. Like, yep. Also, I, I just love that show, and I'm sad that it only got uh, we are too. A, half, a half season in a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we were disappointed that it didn't mm-hmm. get to go on either. Mm-hmm. So good. Then again, I liked The Cape, so my tastes are all over the place. I also enjoyed The Cape. Andy, I've got it on uh, DVD. I'll loan it to you. I have not seen it. <laughs> uh, I, I bought it on YouTube, so now I can watch it anywhere that I have an internet connection. I was just looking at my notes here, and that was sort of the one of the things I'd written down was this pack mentality when it comes to toxic fandom and, you know, this, 
I think, you know, on some level, again, where it becomes even more apparent is these multi-generational fandoms. So things that have been around for a long time. So like going back yeah. to like the edition wars or Star Wars versus Star Trek, Marvel versus DC, these things, because they've been around for decades, they have enormous fan bases. And, you know, some of these, it's interesting when it's like, I can have the, the conversation with you guys about why I like Star Wars over Star Trek. Now, I'm saying that in the context of the show. I like both of them, and there is room in my fandom for both of them because I enjoy them for different reasons. But from the position of, you know, I'm a Star Wars guy, listen, I, I get it. But then you have these sub-communities within the individual fandoms about, like, I'm an original trilogy guy and nothing, you know, everything else outside of that doesn't count. I, I want to say I've never before heard of toxic fandom in, in relation to Star Wars specifically. I've never considered anything there toxic because, you know, I'm not a fan of the, the prequel trilogies, but I'm not a fan of the sequel trilogies either. And as I said in, in the Star Wars show, Honestly, I'm not really a Star Wars fan anymore at all because of, you know, how my tastes have evolved. Sure. But I've never considered that those kinds of interactions were toxic before. I think there's a whole... again, that might be a positional thing because I'm a... Well, I I wouldn't say those particular ones would be, but there is an element of it like with Kelly Tran. Kelly Marie Tran. Yeah. Yeah, she Kelly ran into a, a really hard element of that. And that taps into what we were just talking about with the whole diversity casting, where I think people saw her as a diversity cast, and then her her character didn't get as big of a of a role as maybe, you know, that some people had hoped for. But the and amount... for people who don't know, what was her role? Rose Tico. The Rose, okay. Yeah, Rose Tico. Or Rose Tycho? Tico? Tycho? Yeah, I mean, and clearly, I mean, I just watched Rise of Skywalker again today, so she's kind of fresh in my mind. But she went from being this, like, pseudo-love interest for Finn to being a, a, just a supporting, like, technician in Rise of Skywalker. And it's like, oh. I think that's because you have directors that change and sure, sure the, the storyline kind of gets altered. and Yeah, there were a lot of fingers in that pie. But you look at what happened to her and the, the vitriol that that woman endured that drove her off of social media and to the brink of where she was not in a good space uh, mentally. Yeah. And then the same well, look thing. Look at what happened to Finn. Yes. They, they, they built him up as this big, like, oh, he's going to be this big thing. And then he's a footnote. Yeah. 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 Again, I think and, that comes back to the directors changing, like certain storylines just got abandoned. Yeah. The same thing happened to Leslie Jones in the Lady Ghostbuster movie. Yeah, people went. They attacked her because of her appearance. They attacked her because of her appearance, saying that she looked like a monkey. Right. They said horrific things to her, which yeah, it really was. It didn't help that she had a big verbal. That came after, though. I know, but that didn't. No, that doesn't doesn't help you sympathize with her when when months later, when they announced the uh, the new uh, the new Ghostbuster. Yeah, afterlife. When they announced Afterlife and she went on a Twitter rant about what? What we made didn't count? Like, this is a bunch of fucking bullshit is basically what she said. And it was like, oh. No, what you made was AU and is not in the same continuity. That's yeah. why it's not being yeah, yeah. counted. That's what some might argue. But, yeah, I, I don't know. 
Yeah. So those, these instances of, you know, these... AU stands for alternate universe, just in case. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. The toxicity though, within these communities to attack other people and other groups of fans and even within the same fandom, like it just, it's mind boggling. Fandoms cannibalize themselves so often. It's disgusting. I, I've, I've got a whole thing to say about it, but I, I, I don't want to interrupt this thought. Once, once we're done here, I've got a, I've got a little side note okay. to give. Sure. You were going to say, Kim? Uh, I was just going to say, like, some of these actors, they are actors, they are portraying fictional people. And they're getting the backlash, you know, if it's a gay character yeah. and they're not gay, that's horrible. Or they must be gay or they must be trans or they must be, you know. Sure. And and to me, I kind of I kind of look at that strangely because what they do in their personal life it's the old, and, and uh, what they do for work. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's the Joffrey Baratheon yeah. syndrome. If they're a good actor, it shouldn't matter. Right. Like. They're- don't overlook was, someone just because. But, or people getting attacked for yeah. something their characters have done, thinking that it's them. Right. Like, it's... Yeah. it's The or, line or is so jumbled. Things, there's things like... Um, uh, what was that movie? Uh, the, the Stephen Hawking movie. They got... Uh, I think it was Eddie Redmayne who played Stephen Hawking. I'm going to have to go and look that yes, one up. Yes, he did. Yeah. It was, the, it was the guy from Fantastic Beasts. I think that's Eddie Redmayne. Um, but they're like, people People got mad at him because they're like, why aren't you hiring a disabled actor to play a disabled part? It's like, well, it's called acting. That's right. You're, you're playing pretend to tell a story. Like, that's that's what it is. This came up today in an article that I read uh, regarding um, Schitt's Creek, David's boyfriend and husband, the character whose name escapes me. Kim, help me out here. Um, Sorry? David's husband on Schitt's Creek. Oh my goodness. His real name's uh, Noel, I think. I could right. even have that wrong. So he's a he is a straight male playing a gay character and so there was a lot he'd sort of been asked point blank, how do you feel about being a straight man being cast to play a gay guy and and his response was really really well composed. He, he was like I didn't really think of that, you know, he's like well I kind of played him as if he was me and if I was attracted to another person making no mention of like being gay just like how do I think this person would act if they were attracted to somebody? And isn't that just a a, a very poetic... Yeah. He's doing his job. He's an yeah. actor. Yeah, yeah. Right? Someone who's nope. playing a part of a divorcee and who's never been he's divorced. never been married. Right. Right. Or yeah. a mother who doesn't have children. Sam or... Worthington playing a paraplegic in a wheelchair in Avatar. Uh, Sam the, Worthington the Rock playing, playing a gay you know... bouncer in Be Cool. Yeah. Even though, like, we can, I think we could agree that that was largely a caricature and less of a... Yeah, but still, like, why wouldn't you get a gay guy to play that role? It's well, a gay role. That's true. That is true. If you're going to make the stupid argument, you're going to get a stupid answer. That's 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 ultimately my opinion. Like, And again, you I can, mean, like you, you say... You can be upset, but ugh, why waste your energy on that? Like, there's... There's so much other shit in the world going on, especially now. I think cough, if cough. there were enough, you know, if enough enough people who identified with whatever, uh, in whatever way that they identify, were in those jobs and they were, you know, casting or, or at least competing for those jobs, maybe they would get them. But I don't know. I just don't know what the... I don't know what the makeup is. I don't have the is. data. Yeah, exactly. I don't know the, the ratio of, you know, 
of straight to gay or, or, you know, male to female or, or cisgender to trans or what? I don't know. There is no informed opinion on this because you don't know who tried out for a role unless they go public. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you're, if you're not like out there going, Oh, you know, I, I was more qualified for this and I, I auditioned, but they took this other guy. Well, that, that's awful. But like, maybe there were other reasons like there's 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 a myriad of there are better little... actors maybe right. right maybe little titchy details that might change the situation we and... all have the i think on some level we all have this notion of like well it should always be the best person for the job and that oh, doesn't, that if, doesn't always if, happen if a meritocracy was possible but it doesn't happen we just know that it's not we know it doesn't happen the last true meritocracy is the military, and we really don't want to talk about that. Uh, just circling back to the whole protection aspect of a fandom. Yeah. The Big Bang Theory portrays it in one episode where Sheldon introduces Amy to Indiana Jones, mm -hmm. and she proceeds and... to poke holes in it. So, <laughs> you know, from the protection aspect, that is now ruined for him, and he goes out of his way to try and ruin something oh. she loves. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. You know, yeah. they come at it from a playful manner, but it's still not a good behavior. They play it for comedy, <laughs> no. but the reality is it's still... It's yeah. a real thing. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about that uh, a little bit more where... And and you can imagine from the perspective of, of her as a fan, it might have been hurtful. I want to yeah. talk a little bit more about that, and, and I want to get it into some of the more newsworthy stuff, like when toxic fandom becomes dangerous. And... Uh, well, just before just before we jump into that, that yeah. uh, this kind of ties these two I ideas together. But one of the things I wanted to talk about here was uh, I've had a number of for a number of years I was I was a volunteer worker at a, a convention called RTX, which uh, is the Rooster Teeth Expo down in Austin, Texas. Yeah, literally the first time I went. I applied to be a volunteer and I was like, there's no way they're ever going to pick me to, to, to be a volunteer to, you know, get to interact with these internet celebrities. And, right. and I got picked and it must've been something that I put in the, in the, the answer to the interview questions or whatever, but they're like, yeah, you know what you, and I, I was really big into the fandom for, for rooster teeth at that point. Yeah. Okay. And, it felt like vilifying just to be like, oh my God, these people that I'm a huge fan of, they picked me. And it was so incredible and I felt so honored and I went into it. I was like, I'm going to do the best job I possibly can. Yeah. I love these people. I love that they've done this for me. I can't believe it. I get to be part of this bigger thing. And I went and I sort of, you know, put on this persona, a little bit of my retail persona. Okay. Because you're you're working with fans and you want to make sure everyone's pleased and you're putting on a good face for people and you're, you're representing the professional. company well. Yeah, professionalism. And the fans that I interacted with, for the most part, were just awesome, regular fans. And they were coming together. They were meeting other fans. They were yeah. getting different different views on their favorite franchises and whatnot. And they, they were having a good time. And then you could very easily tell the people that were not there 
because they wanted to be like the parents uh, oh, okay. of, the, of the younger fans or the people who are that, you know, one, the fifth wheel in the friend group who's just not into the same thing, but they right. don't want to be excluded because when people are really passionate about something and we keep going back to that word, yep. but um, when they're really passionate about something, you, you can feel it. It's tangible. It's something you can almost reach out and touch. Don't touch other people without the permission, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Uh, but you go to these conventions and you, you're literally, it's the physical embodiment of those algorithm societies I was talking about. Like everybody here came here because they love a thing, whether it's, you know, one aspect of it or the characters or the storyline or just the, the way the graphics are presented or whatever. They're a fan of this thing. And when you're surrounded by people who love the same things you do, yep. you feel powerful. Like you feel like there's, there is nothing like that sense of belonging to change the way that you are. I was a very depressive person when I was much younger. Yeah. Uh, I, I had, I had a very low self-esteem. I had a, a, a very low self image of myself. Okay. And I maintain that being picked and going to this event is what changed me for the one of the things that changed me for the better. Right. Because I I now suddenly had a group of people that I belonged to. Okay. And I think that's the feeling. Yeah. That starts some of this stuff. And it's a good feeling. It's 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 a good feeling to feel like you belong, like you're accepted. Like yeah, you don't comes have from to a good hide. Place. You don't have to hide that you like this goofy show on the internet. Right. You finally found your tribe. You found your exactly. You found your tribe, and that through that I met I made some really good friends, some people who I've I've been able to talk to about the harder parts of my life and not feel bad about it because I know they have this same sort of base level of interest. Right. And that kind of thing is some of the most powerful stuff that I've experienced. And it literally just came from a whim. Right. And it inserted me into this larger thing. But as time has gone on, for a little bit of background, Rooster Teeth as a company... They've had a bunch of controversies lately. They've had a bunch of people that have left due to, again, they were having inappropriate interactions with fans. And, you know, that power had been used in ways that it shouldn't have. Right. And the company's going through a lot of, I'm going to call them growing pains. Okay. Because they are becoming larger. And as that sort of stuff has happened, I guess I have withdrawn a little bit from being a fan of the company just because you know when you see something like that crumbling you you want to like dis when something you love is falling apart yeah so you know what i mean you're standing in the boat that's taken on water and you're trying to make the decision do you start bailing or do you do you jump out or 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 do you bail yeah yeah and you know i will always have a place in my heart for the people that i met and the friends that i made right but i'm i'm interacting less and less with the property itself. Gotcha. So, you know, it just goes to say that people do evolve. Your tastes do change over time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that that toxicity 
again, it usually starts from a place of joy. Yeah. And Ultimately. that's, you know, a complicated thing to to grasp that something that can be so vile comes from somebody's absolute love and joy for something. And I mean, that takes us right back to the opening statement of the show where like all of this stuff ultimately stems from a passion, whether it's a healthy, whether it's a healthy passion or not. Well, I mean, that, that's kind of goes with the individual. And then you get into this more scary stuff that's happening. Uh, And there's, there's an example from this convention. There was, there was a fan who showed up randomly at this couple they're they're very famous people in the circles that you know of people who watch these internet videos sure they're very famous couple somebody just showed up at their house with a gun and well that's never cool no not even slightly no and it, it was a fan who had some issue with them or, or with something that happened with them either in a video or at the company or whatever and showed up at their house. Right. And it was a big to do. And that's when, you know, toxicity becomes actual like poison, like right. something that can actually hurt people. So now we're, we're like square into that. It's now dangerous territory, which is kind of where I want to go next anyway. So when we talk about fandom and the toxicity of fans and the potential for toxic fandom to become dangerous, like, you know, that is tantamount to probably the, the biggest, most serious example that you could cite. But there's mm-hmm. there are some other ones, too. Like, I think we talked about this the other day. Like, I'm not a Rick and Morty fan, so I wasn't aware of this when I when I was kind of doing notes for the show. But apparently Rick and Morty had a, a promotion with McDonald's. I don't know that they I can, actually I can had explain a promotion, this. but they do reference it. Yeah, so... So they referenced it in one of their episodes because back in the day, McDonald's did a promotion for the release of the Mulan movie right? where they had this Szechuan sauce. And That's right. It was the best sauce that has ever been available at McDonald's. It was fantastic. And people have these fond memories of it, and then they discontinued it. And people have been telling them for years, like, hey, you, you really need to you really need to bring back the Szechuan sauce. So Rick and Morty, in their season premiere for, I think, season three or four? I can't remember which one. Three, I believe. Yeah, they go into Rick's memories, and he drives up to a McDonald's and is like, he orders a bucket of Szechuan sauce. And he's like, this is the only place I can experience this sauce is in my memories. Right. So, so the joke is, like, they brought back this Szechuan sauce, and they're like, oh, my whole, my, the whole point of this TV show is just to get the Szechuan sauce back in McDonald's. And there was this big to-do, and everyone went on social media, and McDonald's was like, eh, maybe we'll do it. And then they did it. And that's where that's the right. controversy yeah. started. Yeah, I mean, and that controversy went as far as, like, at least at, in at least one location in Los Angeles – when they ran out of sauce, fans were going nuts to the point where employees were getting assaulted. That's so fucking stupid. So, I mean, like, how can you do these heinous things, really, in the name of your fandom, right? I mean, that's where it stems from. You're so passionate yeah. about this thing where it's like, you got to give me my sauce, and you don't get it, so you're going to assault somebody because of it? 
I love that show, but I have no intentions of going to McDonald's <laughs> looking for this sauce. Right. <laughs> I don't care I mean, how good it there's is. There's a Helen of Troy reference to be made here, but at the same time, like ridiculousness is ridiculousness. So let's let's go to the next kind of the next one, which is, and you can probably relate to this too, Eric, as a in the video game community, particularly in the world of online of gaming. online uh, gaming, particularly uh, online oh, shooters. Doxing. Doxing generally uh, in internet culture, the idea of going online and, and finding somebody's personal information and then mm-hmm. releasing it to the public with malicious intent to cause harm. I mean, this speaks a little bit a little bit more closely to the dangers of what information about you is available online yep. than it does to how likely you are to interact with a crazy person. But I, underst- I agree... <laughs> part and parcel why facebook has a you know has such a uh, has a policy on uh, the sharing of personal information and how it's just it's not allowed it's it's with yeah. their own community standards you you can't go publishing stuff about people that's not part of their their public profile yeah it's because when it's we dig a tough one. when we dig right down to it i mean the worst the worst worst case of this really we we go back to the 2017 incident the swatting incident where the uh, Andrew Finch on December 28th, 2017, a caller falsely claimed to be inside with hostages and a gun, a style of prank known as swatting. Finch, unaware okay. of the false report, answered the door and was fatally shot on his porch by officers who had surrounded his home. All while playing Call of Duty, and I guess the incident sparked from some argument the two of them had had over a piece of content. And you know what the really, the real ridiculous part of this is the content had a dollar 50 U S value. And now somebody's dead. I think that was happening quite a bit. It was. Yeah. Yeah. The swatting thing had happened Mm -hmm. quite a bit. It made the news several times. We haven't seen much about that lately, but I mean, this is ultimately the worst, worst possible scenario that you could possibly imagine is that, you know, somebody's killed. And Let's all be clear, that's, swatting is in no way a prank. No, it's not. That is a crime. It absolutely is. If there's a line, that is way far beyond it. That, that's, that's, you're so far past the line that it might as well be the horizon. But let's, like, go, let's go back and let's look at that. And even the Rick and Morty thing, both McDonald's and the publishers and developers of Call of Duty, they both essentially said the same thing. And you know what they said? They didn't denounce the actions of those people, what they had done. And what they did was, oh, we appreciate that our fans are passionate. That's yeah, some, that's that's bad marketing. At some point, it stops becoming passion. Right. So, like, this is why I think I, I started the show off with saying, you know, all these things stem from a place of passion. But at what point does your, does, is it not passionate anymore and it's something else, something sinister? I think it's the point where it leaves the fictional and causes a real life effect. Yeah. 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 Like no matter whether that effect is, you know, somebody calling something, somebody else, a racial slur on a forum or somebody assaulting someone over some Szechuan sauce, yeah. which is delicious by the way. In fact, the accused who is now actually the sentenced, the accused at the time when he was approached by uh, media had actually said that he didn't feel like his actions, that he didn't kill anybody because he was not a uniformed police officer who, in fact, was standing there on the porch. That it, yeah, it wasn't his well, fault. The por- they wouldn't have been on the porch, bud. Well, 
the district court disagreed, and last year he was uh, sentenced, I think, to 20 years uh, in prison. So uh, a judge disagreed that and, and found him that he was responsible. For sure. Without his actions, that person would still be alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this kind of goes back to, I'm just going to, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because I think this this point really illustrates how how severe the problem potentially is. I don't know. We don't hear a lot about this stuff anymore. Does that mean that it's not happening? I would oh, say. Oh, no, it's, it still happens constantly. Sure, sure. So just going back to that, you know, it's not just the fans. It, that whole idea that, a, you know, a celebrity has a, maybe has some obligation to, to use their power wisely. You do have celebrities out there who are, you know, whether they admit it or not, or whether they think they are, they say the right thing and their fans go off the deep end and people get hurt. You know, there's the whole, the Nicki Minaj thing we were talking about the other day about how a, f- a fan had uh, written something, had a, made a Twitter post about her, you know, maybe writing something that was more adult and had made a few, you know, off remarks about her. And I said that to Kim the other day and you'd had a different opinion at the time where it was like, well, that's a personal attack. And on some level that's true, but if I personally attack you, you're the one responding to me. If I personally attack... Well, I had said that because Nikki responded to this. She did. Right. She did. Which... It's kind of a fine line, right? You have a huge following. Yeah. People are hanging on to every word you say. This woman has critiqued you. Yep. Good, bad, indifferent. But because of the, I don't want to say power, but in essence, the power of people listening to you, you retaliating against this woman has now given the gates, you've opened them up for these, your fans to now attack this woman, where if you had just not said anything. Yep. Yeah, it's that old right? adage of uh, if you want to control Rome, you have to control the mob. So I think it's that it speaks to the idea that there's the potential for these people. And when I say celebrities, I include the people that you refer to, Eric, through your RTX experiences. These include internet celebrities who, with mm-hmm. a word, have, make no mistake, they have the ability to weaponize their fans. Oh my God, so easily. And there's really no other way to put that. It's not It's not funny. It's not a prank. It's terrifying. It's not a, it's not a joke. When you've got tens of thousands of people who, uh, you know, at your beck and call will do stupid shit because you're one of those guys, like, you're a Logan Paul who will do stupid oh, shit. So like you a, said the name. Like attracts like. But let's not forget that that guy, uh, was it him or is it the other guy, the video game guy? I think it's... PewDiePie. PewDiePie. What, Pewds? PewDiePie, who basically for a decade, uh, his video content is like, you know, it's laced with misogyny and rape jokes and just really terrible things. But, you know, hey, all for the sake of entertainment. And yet... All for the lulls. Right. And, uh, yeah, these people have this influence where they, they... Again, it's a, it's a crazy amount of power you, you that celebrity can wield, and if it's not... And celebrity has changed. Yeah. Like, yeah. back in the day, you used to have to, like, earn that shit. Well, it's not just... Now? It's not just movie stars and rock stars anymore, it's... Again, any, it, now. any idiot in his fucking basement can become a multi-million dollar... Well, this is it, I mean, we live in the world where YouTube is a career option. You oh know what I mean? God. Like, it just... 
there's a time when I couldn't fathom that. And now, you know, I look at some of the people that I, some of the channels that I follow. In fact, one of my favorite YouTubers uh, who hasn't been releasing a lot of content lately put out a video this week to say, hey, I know there hasn't been a lot of content, but he's like, I'm a 10 million plus YouTube channel and I'm one of the few 10 million plus who still do everything by myself. You know, like, these... yeah, once you get to that point, there's usually a team involved. Yeah, exactly. And and for him, there isn't. It's just him. He's a one man show. But yeah, like that's impressive. A 10 million plus subscription following for, you know, just Joe Blow in the UK. Like that's that's was unheard of, you know, 20 years ago. Anyway, I think I've kind of hit on everything that I wanted to touch on uh, in terms of the the idea of gatekeeping and toxic fandom we could we could keep going around and and we could start hitting on more specific examples and maybe maybe we will maybe we'll come back to it one day and we'll do a friendly you know uh we'll do a marvel versus dc or we'll do a star wars versus star trek and we'll we'll, we'll actually we'll I, hand I think that's a whole other show yeah yeah exactly so do you guys have any closing thoughts you want to add before we uh sign off i don't think so um not really. I mean, I guess the only thing I want to say is, like, you as a person are the collected experiences that you've had. And the more varied and different experiences that you have, yeah. the better equipped you'll be to deal with these types of issues. So just go out and experience some new stuff. You know? Like, take take a look at something from an angle you've never tried before talk to different people about things, be, be less afraid of being judged and just like, it doesn't pay to be poisoned, dude. No, it certainly doesn't. Nobody likes that guy. Don't no. be that guy. Yeah. Well, I think if I could just put a final thought on it, I just want to end it by saying uh, words hurt and it doesn't matter if it's face to face or 10,000 miles away behind a keyboard, it hurts just as much. So I hope if anything, uh, you know, the next time don't you're, be that guy. The next time you're online and you're you're digging down on your favorite fandom because they just released a new version of whatever it is, and you're going through the comment section that before you hit enter and you put that out in the world for everybody, just think about how you'd feel if it was coming back at you. Mm-hmm. But that's it for me. I'm Wes. This is Fandom Power. I want to thank my guests. I want to thank my lovely wife Kim, my recording partner my producer and editor, Andy, and our good friend, Eric. Thanks again for coming out tonight and doing this with me. And uh, Anytime. Let's do it again sometime, guys. That was good. Cheers. All right. That's it for me. Bye for now. Be excellent to each other. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.
Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. When your show is ready, Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? <laughs>